Well, hello, I love you, period, nation. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Revolution nation. I didn't I didn't really think about that very much. <laughs> Listen, it's the monkeys. It's the monkeys in my head. They're still waking up. Look, we want to be authentic again as we dive into this third podcast. Eventually, Lane, we're probably going to lose count, but right now we're in infant stages, so we're talking in months and numbers and podcasts. So I, I want to share a story about uh, the, the I Love You period. Again, there's a lot of, you know, this all started when this began at this time, but, you know, each time you peel back a layer, you see another piece of the mosaic that God's brought together. And uh, one, one of those is how this all kind of tied back in with a couple years back or a few years back when I was in Colombia and I was really kind of about to start a, a journey that I've talked about in the first podcast. And it was terrifying. I was scared to death, felt like a total failure, and in many ways was. And I remember walking around the streets of Colombia and hearing, uh, feeling a prompting from God that I want you to look at this statue. I look up and it is the universal I love you sign language. It's a statue. We have a picture at some point. We'll post that. And I remember the voice of God saying, take a picture of this. It's going to mean something. And Lane, I don't know if I can say exactly what I said back to God on this podcast, but it was something to the effect of, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, I'm a total failure. Again, thank you for your forgiveness, but I don't believe you. I don't know why this would be important. I don't know why this would mean something to me. And then on my way back to Charlotte, I took the back roads and I stopped by this little diner that I would never have stopped at. And I pulled off mainly because I was, I was sobbing. I was sitting behind the steering wheel, my head down, just absolutely sobbing. And again, felt this prompting, look, look up. And I looked up through my windshield and I saw a sign. Again, we've got a picture that said hope. And it was like, okay, again, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep driving. I got breath in my lungs and I have a purpose. I have no idea what that is. So what, what is full circle about that is when I got the first inaugural podcast, the first edit to listen to, I happened to be back in Columbia, hadn't even thought about it, Back in Columbia, I was there with my wife, Lulu, and we were literally staying at the hotel where that statue sits right in front of. And we just took a moment the next day to go out and stand by that statue. And we just, we just enjoyed the moment and thanked God for what he's done and just smiled. So I share that story because again, I don't know where this is going to find you in your journey. But I want to share that story with you to say, first of all, as we've been continued to say, you are loved unconditionally. And then second of all, no matter where you find yourself, and we talked about this in the last podcast, about that sense of hopelessness, God gives you this message where he says, you have hope. And so I wanted to share that just because I think it's important for you to know a little bit more, a few more layers of this story. Those will continue to unfold, not only from Lane and I's stories, but also as we continue to hear from you all. And Lane, 
I just wanted to share that and uh, see if you have any initial thoughts before we jump into some of these other things. I remember when you sent me that, um, the I love you sign, the the statue, and we had that conversation about how there's just so many similarities about just the visuals of your story and my story. And that that sign I've been doing for years with my son, uh, my wife and son actually started it at BMX and he'd get very nervous. She'd raise her hand up with the sign and he started raising it up. And the crazy thing about that, no matter if it was soccer, basketball, rock climbing, BMX, swimming, high diving, this kid's done tons. Imagine a kid on a high dive raising his hand. I love you. Everybody sees it, right? It becomes an icon everybody starts asking us why is he doing that and we get to tell him and the undeniable no matter if he fails if he does a belly flop off the high dive if he falls in bmx if he lets himself down it is i love you period and we've been doing this for years and so you know when you re reiterate your story that's the image i always get in my head is just me and my son it's almost like a realization for me personally what god's always doing for us he's just sitting there with his hand up in the air is asking us to come back he's asking us not to hear that he loves us period uh, but to accept it to fully embrace it and call it our own so that's what i hear every time you tell that story and, you know, when you tell the story about Whitson on the high dive, it makes me think of how many times I've belly flopped. <laughs> I mean, just absolutely belly flopped in the high dive of life. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and yet, it, and Lane and I were talking about this earlier today. You know, I used to have this picture of God being so disappointed and folding his arms and sitting back and shaking his head. And, and again, that probably resonates with so many people, not just because we've thought of God that way, but if you've lived like I have and made mistakes like I have, and I'm going to include Lane in that, we've had a lot of people who've, who've looked at us, folding their arms, shaking their heads, going, I can't believe you did that. And that was kind of the picture that I had. And now, so often, I think of God Think of him looking and seeing some of those things. One, knowing that I already forgave you of all those things, past, present, future. Sometimes I think he probably just laughs, Lane, and it makes me laugh. Not because I'm trying to belittle what I've done, but I just kind of shake my head and go, oh man, God, thanks for that forgiveness that you've given. Thank you that I don't have to dwell on this. Thank you that you love me even when I belly flop. So I think with the spirit of belly flops in mind, Lane, we were talking earlier about some of the things that we do, and we're just going to call them belly flops. We literally just came up with this. It's beautiful. Thanks, Whitson. And we're going to talk about some of the belly flops that we have. And and I was sharing this morning, I was talking about, Lane, I don't know why I get so upset in traffic. It just... And, and the things that will come out of my mouth or that I think in my head when somebody does something that's so awful, like, you know, pulls out in front of me, 
or is on their phone texting and we miss the light because the person's just sitting there or even worse, I miss the light, but the person who's on their phone looks up and sees, oh, it's about ready to turn red and they pull off and they leave me hanging back there. And I was telling Lane the other day that I, I was driving a certain car and somebody did that and I honked the horn. I mean, I laid on the horn and the horn, it's just not a tough horn lane. It sounds like a gnat buzzing in your ear. And I went from being intensely angry and thinking, I'm going to show this person to just being embarrassed. One, that I was even doing it, but two, that I had this horn. And so I think I'm going to get installed in the car, like one of those big fog horns. Is that possible? Can I do that? So, uh, you know, maybe that resonates with you, the things that we get angry about. And if you have kids, the same thing goes. Lane, I'm not going to do all the talking here. You're going to have to confess some of your your belly flops too. So I'm inviting you in now to do that. You were talking about your kids this morning and some of those frustrations, even though we're perfect parents. Oh, man. Where do you begin with a person's flaws when they're trying to be honest, right? Let's, let's start writing a book. Write, write a few books. What did, what did the Bible say? God's actions, Jesus on earth. If they could write everything he did, it would fill a library, right? Yeah, I think we could probably, I don't think we could surmount to that amount, but we could definitely fill a, fill a room up with pages and pages and pages and keep writing because we'll remember something else. I used to pull out the, the, the driveway in the mornings, and both of my kids would come out. They want me to honk. It was like a goodbye honk every day. So it was a little bitty thing. I could do it really, really easily. Inside, so do it. Well, that car got totaled, and I had to get a new car. A totally different thing. My kids were standing in front of the car when I did this, and it was like it was like a foghorn. I mean, I could literally see their hair blow back when I did it. I'm like, let's not, let's not do that. You know, get a little bit farther back. So, I mean, just inattentionally destroying my kids' hearing for life uh, with with a good um, a good intent. Uh, but yeah, you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many things as your kids grow up. You got so many stories, and if you look back, you can see the comedy in it. And I, I wrote a few of them down, like some of the flaws that I, I, I see um, God even working in me. I mean, let's, let's just go to, you're, you're talking about cars. Let's just talk about the lost keys. How many times have we lost our keys? How many times have they been in our pocket or in our hand while we're looking for them? And, you know, the, the patience is a virtue, especially when it's about finding things already within our grasp, right? <laughs> we're like screaming at ourselves, kicking the dog, throwing something. And it's probably the keys that we throw because it's been in our hands the whole time. Um, but yeah, the little the little things, um, kids not being able to go to sleep, wanting another extra hug or kiss, needing uh, perpetual drinks of water, uh, keeping you up until 3 a.m. because they saw something that they know they didn't see, but they think it's funny that you get up and rub your eyes and you're completely oblivious to the, the, the Legos you're stepping on, right? And, you know, in, in the end times when you're looking back at your life you know you hear that saying when i'm on my deathbed or my last day in life i will never say i wish i spent an extra day at work right and you can reword that and say you know when your kids are gone 
when they're when they're in college, when they're gone, they have kids, they got their kids that are your empty nesters. You will never say, Man, I wish I never had those nights. You'll wish for that Lego moment. You'll wish for that crying time where they don't want to leave you and they want to sleep in your bed and keep you up all night and put their knees in your back and you wake up with weird bruises and scratches on your skin. You know, it's <laughs> so the anger that we have in the moment or misunderstandings of what God is doing within those moments. We can just breathe, take a moment for full grace, even with our kids, even with the toilet paper running out of the bath and you don't know where that came from and all the rolls in the house are empty and all of them ended up in the shower and the bath and then somehow the kitchen sink. Um, God is working in our lives. I've found, Dean, that the things that irritate us the most are the things that God's working on us the most. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to agree with most of what you said, Lane. The only thing I want to point out is I will never miss stepping on Legos in the middle of the night. So that's, that's your journey. It's not mine. I don't miss it now. I don't think I'll ever miss it. To each his own, um, Dean. To each his own. That's that's right. <laughs> but I but I think what you're hitting on, and maybe we should call this episode "Why Am I So Angry?" Um, you know, and when I I talked about this the other night uh, with my kids at the table, one of the things that I said to them, and if uh, you look at the writing that we just posted, my prayer was, "God, show me the places that I'm not loving with a period on the end." Well. Good news, bad news. When you when you pray a prayer like that, the answer is the same. The good news and the bad news is the same. God answers your prayer. And what I've found is it really just continues to reveal places that I'm not doing that myself. So while this this is something that we have a whole podcast that's centered around I love you, period, spoiler alert, we're not doing it perfectly. And so much of that is, to your point earlier, that how are we receiving God's love? And when we receive God's love and forgiveness and redemption, we're able to give it. I heard a quote the other day that somebody said, praying for those you love is sincerity. Praying for someone that has hurt you is maturity. And I wanted to throw it out, Lane, because you know I'm all good for praying the, for the people that I love. It feels great. I can tell everybody, hey, I'm praying for you. It's the people that have hurt me that I have a hard time doing. What I find, though, and this is still so puzzling to me, what I find is when I do that, it changes something within me. When I get angry, and I was telling the kids this, and look, nobody nobody is a better audience than your kids. Nobody's going to give you more honest feedback than your kids. So if you're trying to spin something with your kids, this image that we've talked about, they're going to call you out so fast. And I love that most of the time. But I was tra- sharing a story with them that I said I've been praying this prayer. And then I was sharing the story of getting angry in traffic. Well, you know, they already knew that. They've seen it. My son said recently when we were on a trip, gosh, dad, like, I don't know that I've ever seen you get so angry than when we're driving on the interstate. And he's kind of laughing, but it's like, well, duly noted. And I said, one of the things that God's challenging, challenging me with is even in traffic, 
okay, in that moment, and I have not done this perfectly, I'm working on it, but I felt God saying, what if you took that moment and actually prayed for that person? What if you actually thought, I wonder what is going on for them? Well, as much as I hated it in the moment, I did it recently, I found that I didn't want to lay on my gnat buzzing horn, and I changed. Nothing happened with the other person. I changed. And it was almost like when Jonah was upset about the people repenting, God's like, you know, it has to have him swallowed by a whale and all these things. He's got this journey and he finally makes it to Nineveh and he preaches and the people actually turn around and they repent. And then Jonah gets mad because he wanted so desperately for those people to pay. And I thought, man, how often have I done that? And it never yields the result that I want. Never. No exception to that. It's the old saying of, I drink the poison and I expect Lane to die. And it's just it's just not how that works. And so it's those moments. And again, I'm assuming this resonates because we're all human and we all have those moments. And maybe it's not traffic. Maybe you're perfect in traffic. God bless you. We should have you on the podcast as an expert in anger control and traffic. But for most of us, we have these areas all throughout the day that we have a choice that we can either let loose and, and, and try to get some result that we're never going to get. Anger never yields the result. I mean, I'm not saying anger is a bad thing. It's, it's definitely, uh, there's times when you are angry for good things. But when we act out of revenge, we expect when we do something to another person that it's going to make us feel better. That's the pitfall. That's where I've fallen into it in the past. And it's like, dang it, that other person is still looks so happy. Why am I so miserable? If everybody knew who they were and what they've done, and nobody really cares. That's the that's the comforting part and the sad part is that nobody really cares. And you and I go around trying to convince people of, but you don't understand. This person's done that and this, and you're supposed to hate them as much as I do. And they may say, oh, that's terrible. That sounds like an awful person. And then they want to know what's for dinner. So I think it's really my experience with anger and talking about those places, what, what do you find when you're in those moments? And I know you kind of shared a little bit of that perspective of the future, but I mean, that's hard to have in the middle of the moment when you're stepping on a Lego at 3 a.m. I'm going back to the Legos. It's hard to have that perspective, but, you know, share some of your stories. Again, not going to let you off the hook. Um, tell me, tell me a lane outburst. Why did I do that moment? Do you have one of those? I came from a family of screamers, so learning to be quick to think and slow to speak has been a life journey, and I still do it. <laughs> still find the past lane coming, especially when you ask the kids for the 80th time to clean the room before they get a movie that night, and that's the prize, and none of them clean the rooms, and they still want the movie, right? When I talk about my kids... Um, what I'm doing in my mind is I'm relating it to God in the moment. You know, we hear hindsight's 2020, but God's outside of time. So all things are 2020. He knows you're going to step on that Lego. He knows you're going to honk a very miniature horn at somebody and embarrass your whole family for life. He knows you're going to do these dumb, flawed things all your life. And, you know, some of the triggers I have are triggers from my past, from my childhood. 
And so as a parent, I got to remember I'm the parent. And so we have this saying that says, I am the water, I am not the fish. And so when you get in a chaotic area, uh, I can see my son sometimes closing his eyes and I'm like, what are you doing? I am the water. I'm like, okay. Right? So it's, it's those little trigger moments that you need to know your trigger and you need to know how to turn it off. You need to know how to put the safety on. And it's not an overnight thing. And it's not an in-the-moment thing. I think I'm shooting 15 20%, you know, of actually responding well. But it's hopefully those, those moments of daddy actually did this correctly, right? My dad always said, I said, um, are you happy in me? And he said, you're better off than where I was. And that was his perspective that his role as a father, I was never hit. I was never cussed at. Um, I did watch my, my brother get knocked out by him once. He, he put him in the sleeper hold. Uh, he was in the Navy. You don't mess with these Navy rescue people. And uh, my brother, you know, sometime, someday I might get him to tell his own story, but it was a really rough time with him and my mom. He really needed his dad at home, and he wasn't there. That's why I work from home as much as I can. And he came home and put him to sleep. And I remember my dad saying, the better for worse was to your mom, not to you. Right? And that struck fear in me. But later he told me, you know, you, you respect women. I mean, he built it into me. So, hope, I mean, was that the right thing to do in the moment? Probably not. I don't know. You know, this is a sacred place, no judgment. But, you know, in the 90s, in the 80s, we didn't wear seatbelts. We didn't put kids in safety seats. So we re rode in the back of trucks. It was a totally different culture. We did some really dumb things. And if you want to know there's a God, we're still alive, <laughs> right? <laughs> we survived the the chaoticness of it all. Um, I wrote some of my kids' statements down that kind of trigger me. Sometimes I wrote some of uh, working environment stuff that kind of triggered me and kind of what I think God's kind of doing in the moment. Do you mind if I share some of those? Absolutely, please. All right, so here's some of the statements some of my kids have told me or their mom. This one, they always, yeah, I'm, I was always late uh, working, and it, I have a hard time showing because I get caught up in the work, right? So they say, hey, mom's, uh, or dad says, He's going to be five minutes late, but the clock says it was a whole SpongeBob episode late. Dad says he's a good cook, but the smoke alarm seems to disagree. I mean, these are actual <laughs> quotes. And I inherited my cooking from my, my mom. I love you, mom. If you ever listen to this, I love you. Everything I cook, I burn. I burn water. I don't know how, how to do that. Um, uh, a couple others. Dad says his music is classic, but doesn't classic mean it's old people music? Uh, so those are just some of the things my kids uh, just talk to me. And Dad says money doesn't grow on trees, but he keeps swiping those cards like it does. At, at work, let's just transition. I mean, some of these, you know, some of you might have these examples. A box reacts to a minor mistake. I like to call these things applications of divine loving grace. So these are some of the things that I've I've been thinking about if we truly believed that um, we are priceless, how would we treat our bosses? How would we treat our employees? How would we treat our kids and our family, right? So um, accidentally missing a minor deadline, something that doesn't matter, something that was self-set, 
And so uh, the boss, if it was an application of divine loving grace, the boss would recognize a human tendency for error, respond with understanding and support, foster an environment of learning rather than punishment. I mean, just transition that into other parts of our lives. We are the bosses of our own selves. If we miss a date, if we're not perfect, do we do this to ourselves? Do we lay into ourselves? Do we send ourselves to HR? Do we have a talk with ourselves? Are we talking to ourselves verbally out loud to a mirror? You know, so I've got plenty of these things, but I'll, you know, you're talking about things that trigger me. That would trigger me because in my mind, that's what I want to happen. But as a boss, am I doing that? Am I receiving that from the boss? And then if I respond, am I getting a kind response? And I think these are just ongoing life growths that never end until your last day. Um, And this is what we're trying to do with this podcast. I, I love the transitioning between family and work. Because for me, you know, as as a, a, a husband or a wife, you are the bosses of the house, right? And do you run your household like you run your business? Or do you treat your kids like you would like to be treated? And do we treat each other with love and treat each other pricelessly? I can say absolutely not uh, at times, right? Because we're flawed. But if I look back, I wish I could do have done things a little bit better, but in the hindsight of things, that just helps you to be a better person. And hopefully you can learn from that. Accept it. Accept the I love you period, that you are not worthless. You are not less than because you screwed up something. You're not less than because you you honked a pee-picking little horn, and you're not less than because you yelled when you stepped on a Lego and threw it across the room and it hit the wall and went, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, we all do embarrassing things. We all can look back and see things. And in the moment, it's the moment. And God can do some miraculous things with things that are irritating us and say, hey, I'm working on you with that. You talked about prayer. Of course, it helps you to pray for them. It's not for them. It's for you. You know, you got to let go of the past or the anchors are going to weigh you down. And you're never going to get to the top of the ocean, top of the surface to breathe if you don't let those anchors down. And there's all sorts of anchors. Fill in the blanks for your personal life. Let those anchors down. It's not immediate. You're living in the moment and you have to work on them in your own personal way. But that's the great thing about having a coach or a mentor or listening to stuff and reading and watching stuff that betters your life. Because at some point, that trigger is going to get a safety. And then you can put that safety on and release that latch and release that anchor that's weighing you down. Well, you talked about really what I hear in my head is the parent or the boss. But I've even been guilty of saying this as a parent. Well, you do this because I said so. And, you know, for a short period of time when your kids are younger... Or you could transition that to when your employees are scared to death because they need a paycheck. And you say things, essentially, you may not say it that way, but you do it my way or you do it somewhere else. Well, that motivates people. I won't argue with that. Absolutely is motivating. Fear is a motivator. But 
it's not a long-term recipe for success with your kids, in your relationships, at work. And as a leader, that has come up so many times for me, Lane, where I will say to somebody who I lead, I'll they'll almost look at me like, well, aren't you going to tell me to do this because you're my boss? And I'll say, what do you think? How do you want to do this? Set your own expectation. Let's do it your way. You know, we have a goal that we're trying to, a vision, if you will. I was telling somebody the other day, they were asking me, how do I look at organizational charts? And I said, well, mine's maybe unique. Uh, It's not kind of this top-down kind of structure. I picture it as a circle and there's this vision in the middle. What are we trying to accomplish? You can do that with your work life. You can do that in your relationships. You can do that with your kids and your family. You can do that with your church, with other organizations that you're involved in, whatever teams, as a coach. I look at it as that vision in the middle and there's this perimeter circle around that where you've got all the team contributors all contributing 100%. Now, what I'm not saying is that there's not somebody in charge, that there's not certain people that are better CEOs than others, better managers than others, but it's the idea that you are constantly reminding everybody, one, we're all working toward the same vision, two, your contribution is just as important as mine, and and then, and then thirdly, yeah, I mean, I've got a way that I envision getting there, but if I'm willing to listen, maybe you've got something better. And that is not super common, whether that's in families or at the workplace. Often when we get in those positions of leadership, we actually think it's our role to, well, now that I'm in this position of leadership, I have to tell everybody what to do. That's my value add. And I get it. I've, I've had those moments myself. But I have to ask myself the question, have I ever really responded well and been at my best when I'm in an environment where somebody's saying, do this because I said so? Have I ever really been at my best when I'm motivated by fear? I talk a little bit about that in the article I just wrote. We've talked a little bit about it as well. When you're only as good with the other person as your last greatest performance, I put it this way. You know, if I, if I mandated to Lulu, you're my wife and you must tell me you love me. Well, would I be necessarily wrong? It is important to tell each other. Nobody would fundamentally disagree with the idea. When you love somebody, you try to nurture that relationship. You want to tell them that you love them, show them you love them. But if I mandated that, I think I don't even have to ask the question. I think you know exactly how she would respond, how anybody would respond. They may say, fine, you're right. I'll tell you I love you. You must do it every day. But what if I actually spent more time trying to be the kind of person that she naturally wants to say, I love you to, that she naturally wants to go above and beyond? That 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 is what we're talking about, how that translates into the workplace too. Again, this can be a really depressing thing or it can be a really inspiring thing. The one place we spend most of our waking hours is at work. And what would that environment look like if we had leaders that made it their sole primary goal to extravagantly love the people they led? 
extravagantly love, Elaine. I mean, that's that's something that that God's really put on my heart. And again, anybody who might hear this who's who's been led by me, uh, who is my kid, I have not always done this perfectly by any means. But I'd like to think, going to the deathbed analogy, or that something happens and I'm gone tomorrow, I'd, I'd really hope that there are at least some people who would say, wow, I remember the way he loved and cared for me. Not, I was so inspired by how he told me what to do all the time. I just don't really hear that much. So I think it's just an interesting thing. And then, you know, a lot of the anger that we're talking about, if I'm honest, and I don't always like being honest, but when I'm angry, sometimes I'll be talking to Lulu and I'll be angry about something I'll be telling her a story, and sometimes I'll just stop, and I'll say, eh, I don't want to be honest, but the truth is, I'm just, it just really hit my ego and my pride, what that person did. They really didn't even do anything wrong. I'm just angry because I'm envious. They were doing something that, you know, I wish I could have done, or I'm pointing something else out in somebody else, and I do it myself, and kind of calling yourself out there. Again, back to our first podcast where I said it was alarming when I began to do more of that and just tell people that in the moment and think, oh, good grief, like they're going to think I'm the horrible leader and just saying, you know what, I've said it at work. I've had to go to people and say, hey, I did this the other day or even in the moment sometimes. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And part of me inside goes, don't do this. They're going to think you're weak. They're going to take advantage of you. And the opposite has always been true. Yeah. Hey, thanks for, thanks for saying that. I forgive you. Of course, of course I forgive you. I mean, I make mistakes too. It just creates this environment. It's that 95-5 rule. I was sharing this the other day with somebody. I said, look, 95% of the time, maybe more, you're going to make the right call. You're going to do the right thing. I trust you. The other 5% of the time, we'll figure it out. And, and what I've found is, is, what we keep talking about here. When you have any sort of team, whether that's a marriage team, that's a parent and children team, family team, that's a work team, whatever the team is, when you have a group of people, we've seen this with pro athletes and and teams that have won and they talk about love. We love each other. We have each other's backs. And I think when you have a team that's motivated by love, and the leadership that is motivated and motivating with extravagant love for that team, you always get exponentially greater results. I am I am just jotting down everything in my head that's just flashing around and rolling around like a ping pong ball as you talk, Dean. Um, it, it resonates so much with me, um, and it makes perfect sense why, as fathers we would transition back and forth, right? It's like a three-tier kind of situation. God the Father, right? And us as, you know, these uh, very young children of an internal being that's lived forever as, you know, outside of time. I can only imagine how young we are and how uh, careless we are and in the infinite space of existence and knowledge we probably know point zero 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 put as many zeros on that and add it until one 
and we're probably still just touching the surface and overly indulging our knowledge of everything. Imagine th just the wealth of knowledge that we don't know. And, and, and that includes in other people's situations, in our own situation, what's going on in us that triggers that. We're oblivious. We only react to the things that we cannot, can see and can understand. And if we can only understand just a minute amount, then stepping into a situation as a student and not as the teacher um, is probably the most humbling and smart thing to do uh, because we come away from everything as a, uh, a better person. We can always learn from someone else. And we only learn from our failures. We only learn from our failures. So why get on to someone for failing? Because that's the only way we learn, right? Uh, I was talk, uh, uh, writing all this stuff down. Like um, uh, I had a, an amazing mentorship uh, a while back, and he would say, speak last as a leader. Speak last. Don't interrupt. Speak last. Because if you come into a room and say something, who who is going to, and you're the boss, you're the head honcho, who's going to go against what you just said? If you walk into a situation with a question and an answer, who's going to give you another answer, an alternative? Who's going to be seen as the devil's advocate, the person that's pushing back? Nobody. And I've watched this guy sit in rooms and just be quiet and sometimes not even say one word and walk out and just be, but approachable. He'd talk about family. He just wouldn't talk about the main situation because he wanted to resonate and he wanted to learn. And this is as far up as you can possibly go. And to see that as an example, you know, on, at, at that place or as a mentee speaks volumes. He also said, let your words be more important than your silence. And that, that goes back to being a parent or, or just being a human, uh, being quick to think and slow to anger, slow to speak. It doesn't even have to be anger. The solution that just comes up to, in your mind might be a good solution, might not be the best solution. And so not speaking first, being quiet and listening. As a team, where two or more are, there is God, right? There he is. Uh, and the more minds that you can't get around you, the better. You know, a smart person has many counselors. And the foolish man talks a lot. And if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. I mean, there's so much stuff I wrote down just while you're talking. I'm like, oh my gosh, these are some of the... And, you know, you put the circle in the, the, in the middle as a focus. So your whole team's in a circle and they're focused on the, the target in the middle. Uh, my best boss I ever had, an executive um, at a really huge company, um, she said we were on a plateau. She operated as a plateau. As she would come into my office, bring me coffee, and I'm like two rungs down, right? And she's talking about health, family, not on a script, not checking off the marks, actually continuing where we left off in the last conversation. So I knew she was authentically listening. She would bring her grandchild in, same age as my kids, and they'd play around and she'd talk about being a parent and grandparent and how that, how that, you know, adversely affects or lessons and how that positively affects. Love you too. It's my uh, episode interrupter. Every episode she's going <laughs> to. Now she has to do it every time. Good timing, Kay. That was good timing. 
Uh, so <laughs> just talking about how they inf- and it impact your work and your life. Uh, she led by in- inspiring, inspiring speeches. We'd have closed door conversations with executives and any of the questions that we said stayed in. It was like Las Vegas. That was actually the, the quote, whatever happens here stays here, right? So she led with motive insp- inspiration. She didn't le- lead with fear. She didn't lead with, you got to meet these numbers to have a job. Uh, I know a certain company lays off 10% of their employees every year. Huge company, probably the most uh, valuable company in the world now. They go back and forth, these two companies. (laughs) We'll see who's the most valuable next. But they fire 10% of their employees every year, just like that. Clockwork. Has nothing to do with emotional intelligence. Has nothing to do if they should And sooner or later, your top 10% are your bottom 10%. So you can look at all these tech companies and all these amazing tools and AI and all this stuff. Look at their background. Most likely they came from that company and most likely they wrote the code to make that company wealthy. And now they're they're starting their own company because that company kicked them out of the door like they were nothing. But they made that company. So they lead by fear, not by inspiration. And the problem with that, Dean is inspired employees work like a three to five employees together. So you've got, say, a thousand people working like they're 5,000 people. If you just inspire them authentically and you lead with speaking last and listening first, differentiator, game changer, no one's doing it, not many. Probably 1% of the companies authentically do it. They bring in these third parties to tell them what to do, give them templates and scripts, and they follow the scripts. It's not in their heart. You got to singe this stuff on your heart. You're not going to do it correctly if you don't have the right heart. And you can't you can't give someone the heart you don't got. And so um, leaders eat last. That's one of the things I wrote. Uh, you know, you're not exclusive. You're inclusive. Have team builders. If, if everybody knows you as the person that's going to call, and if you get a call, you're in trouble. I'm going uh, to have my caller ID on. I'm going to send that thing straight to voicemail. I'm focused on my work. You know, smart owners of companies, smart bosses, managers, directors, presidents, whatever you are, If you're smart, you hire people smarter than you in those positions, more capable than you in that position, so you don't have to micromanage. When you start calling people and telling them what to do and being exclusive and running with fear, speaking first, listening last, that's the definition of a micromanager. So if you're doing any of that and you say, well, I'm not a micromanager, you are, and you're lying to yourself. You're lying probably to your family. You're lying to your employees. You're lying to yourself. You need to get off that high horse. And the great thing about this podcast, it's not we're not judging anybody. We're just letting you know the truth. And the three three employees, the five employees out of one, that is a metric. That is a proven scientific metric. Companies grow twenty percent if they're happy. Scientific metric differentiating companies that are going to last the next 10 years. This is how you do it. Exactly. Just rewind 10 minutes, listen to it again. If you want to survive and be better than you are now, or even 
not merged with someone else because they bought you. Do this authentically. Don't have third-party companies come in. Do a true change management to where your management can do it themselves. If you've got to get other people in to tell your top-tier work uh, bosses what to do, you got the wrong top-tier bosses. You need to hire that person. That's telling your boss what to do and put that person in that place because they're going to run the place with heart and soul, and that's what you need. Metrics can tell you everything. Stakeholders are great. Imagine what would happen to stakeholders if they knew the company was loving their employees. Game changer, and you've said that so many times. So bosses drag people to the top if they can get them there. There's a certain amount of weight that you can only lift, right? So they got to go together. And that's what leaders do. They push, they inspire, they encourage, they're at the back, they get the best last, and they let everybody else take the credit. I, I just, I can't imagine a company that had leaders that inspired and trained to the point where you didn't even know who the leader was. And you, they treated them like they could just become a CEO or a president or a C-suite person, or a leader, or a company, founder, for anything. And everybody could do that. But they didn't want to, and they stayed with you because of the way you treated them. They're not going to stay with you because of fear. They're going to stay with you because every year they're a better person because of your inspiration. When you love up, you love yourself up. So going back to prayer, Dean, praying for someone else lifts you up as well. It's the way God created it. It's not a selfish thing like, I'm going to pray for you because I, I, you know, you know, it's not like that. It's not some lofty thing that you do for yourself. But in, in, in a roundabout way, when you pray to God, when you talk to him, when you're selfless, he lifts you up as well. And that's the freeing part of what you're talking about. As a parent, let's go back to parent and I'll, I'll, I'll make this my last thing in this because I mean you just said something and this is I mean literally I'm hold these are the notes I wrote while you were talking just while you're talking I was like oh my gosh this is just this is just unlocking so much as a parent you try to have quality time you know when your grandparents are old you try to have quality time when your your parents probably try to have quality time the problem with that is that it's only found in the quantity. And so you can't have the quality if you don't have the quantity. If you have the quantity, those employees by nature will find the quality within. And the same thing goes with your personal life. Spend time with yourself. Have quality workout time, quantity health time, quantity meditation time. Because within that, you're going to find the quality you that's been hidden the whole time. Kind of going back to always making sure we're telling on ourselves. When I think back in the moments where I have tried to lead differently than what we're talking about, I always try to, anybody who's ever been on my team or interned with our group, um, one in particular always reminds me that you used to say, and you always say, put it in reverse. What are we trying to do? And so when I think about certain behaviors that I may exhibit or how I lead, I try to think what's the root underneath of that. And when I have failed as a leader, I realize there's one word that constantly comes up for me, and that's this word insecure. 
and that it's almost at every root, it's every root of the the times where I have done something that I look back and go, man, I I would have done that differently. It's it's a place that I have to find was where was I insecure there, and insecurity drives all kinds of negative behaviors or symptoms. And as a leader, one of the things I thought was, well, if I just look at my team or anybody that I'm leading, whether that's directly or laterally or just impacting people in the world, if I look at that and I say, I just need to give my life away and invest in these people, quantity, quality, what's in it for me? I'm just going to get left behind. And what I found is the exact opposite. The more I do that, here's the big one. And we can call this a selfish reason for doing it. And that's fine. I have never been more fulfilled in my life, personally fulfilled and peace filled than when I'm doing what we're talking about. Even at times when I'm, it's a bit of a discipline. Even at times when you're in that moment where you have this great idea, you've shared it with a team, and they go on and give you no credit. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people. And your first reaction might be, are you kidding me? I'm literally the one who came up with that. Even in those moments, what I've found is when I'm willing to listen, Lane, and not talk, and I go, well, why is that bothering me? Well, I've got some insecurity there. How should I look at that differently? And what I, what I noticed is when I do that, I mean, I had that happen quite a few times in my career. Recently, as I've thought about that, I thought, well, what better reflection of, of servant leadership than when you have a team that takes that idea as their own, embraces it, and goes out and does it. And then I find like, man, that's so fulfilling. So it's it's not like you're left hanging when you are considered, I think, what we would call a servant-type leader. You're not left hanging. It's incredibly fulfilling. And I think that's what so many leaders and top-level executives, if they're honest, would tell you, I thought if I got here where I'm finally a big deal and I've got all this influence, why am I so empty? And what we're offering is when you lead this way, you love extravagantly. What if, what if your company, what if your company was first and foremost known as a company that extravagantly loved all of humanity, extravagantly loved their people? Imagine going out to college campuses and offering an internship program that didn't start with, you're going to learn how to make widgets, but started with, we want to invest in you as humans. We want to develop you as humans. And, and with the idea that that's truly what we're going to do, and ultimately, because look, we do live in a world where you've got to talk about return on investment. I get it. Not, none of what we're saying here is dismissing the fact that you've got to make money to stay in business, to employ the people that you love. But would it not be a place where people were so motivated to be there because they wanted to be? Eisenhower had the quote of saying, I need to get the men to do what I need them to do, but because they want to do it. What if we had environments like that? What if you really listened to the people that are in your workplace, that you lead? 
I remember one time being on a call and somebody on my team, I had looped that person in and I was sitting around the table and this particular person, when I asked a question said, yeah, that's, that's not, I'm not doing that. That's not, that's not, that doesn't work. And I remember looking around the room and seeing the look on some of the people's faces, like, are you going to let this person get away with that? So uh, we hung up. I said, okay, thank you. Uh, we'll talk later. We'll catch up. I'd love to hear more of what, you know, what you're talking about. Hung up the call, looked around the room and somebody said, are you going to let her, are you going to let that person get away with that? And I looked around the room. I said, what do you mean? And that person said, if I had somebody like that on my team, they'd be cleaning out their desk after this call. And I said, do you guys all consider, you know, that your team has, has a voice? Would you say that everybody on your team has a voice? And they all kind of like said, well, yeah. And I said, well, then if they truly have a voice, then what would it look like if I fire that person when they finally use their voice? And there was just kind of this collective gulp in the room. But it's those kinds of moments that if I allowed, look, and I'm not going to sit there and say that in the moment there was a part of me that was kind of embarrassed. My ego was you know, hit. But when I really thought about it, I thought, man, I'm thankful that that person felt comfortable enough to say, essentially, that's a dumb idea. You know what happened after that? I ended up having a conversation with that person and they proactively said, hey, sorry about the way I said that. I would have said that differently looking back. And I was able to say, hey, thanks for telling me that. And let's dig into what the issue is so we can figure it out. Thank you for your input. Thank you for being willing to tell me that was a dumb idea. So it's those kinds of moments that are crucial in how, and think about how that translates with our kids. They do something wrong or maybe it's not even wrong, it's just something we didn't want them to do, or they do something that we didn't want them to do. Those moments are pivotal in how we handle that. Am I responding because they made me look stupid in public? And again, nobody really cares, but we think they do. Do I have an expectation that they didn't meet? And so now I'm going to assert my will as their parent, as their father. I'm going to scare the crap out of them and, and again, remind them of what they did and that it's, I'm not good with that. And when you do this because I said so, or am I going to take that as a moment to say, okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's figure that out. And what does that do? We all have had moments like that. You know, one of the, one of the, I'm sure there's lots of people who have stories like this. When I was in college and I was living with my parents and I was, I was kind of living, well, I was living for Dean and it was in that weird spot where you're living with your parents, you've had some freedom, and now you're living with them again, and they're trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And I would have those nights, or I should say those mornings, when I would come back in the house, wee hours of the morning, like six o'clock. That's wee hours when you're in college. I remember one time coming in and talking to my mom, and I thought I, thought I was going to get back before she was up. And one of the most impactful moments in my life was when she said to me, because I thought, oh man, she's going to tell dad and he's going to be ticked off and he's going to give it to me. And, you know, and she just said, you know, your dad prayed for you all night last night. And in that moment, I'll never forget as a 19 year old kid, 
I went to my room and I bawled like a baby. And he could have done that and he wouldn't have been wrong. He could have come out and told me all the things I did wrong, how I shouldn't be doing this, how I was disrespecting their home. I was disrespecting him. And instead, my mom just says, he was on his knees praying for you all night. I'll never forget that. And it's really helped me in the moments where somebody, look, I already knew I was doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And by the way, most people know when they make a mistake. We're talking about grown adults that we work with. They know. The reason why a lot of those things get exacerbated is because we create an environment where they're so afraid of us coming down on them that they hide until the last minute. And then it becomes a forest fire. And then we say, God, we got these awful employees. I mean, look at what they've done. Well, what might it have looked like if when they lit the match and realized, uh-oh, I lit a match, I can come to my, my leader and we can blow this thing out together before it becomes a forest fire and I'm out of here. So I think about situations like that, Lane, that does that cost any more to have an environment like that? And the answer is no. But I think we're, 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 what we're really calling people to at all levels, and obviously we're talking about companies, and, 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 but this translates into every aspect of our life. I love that analogy of the match because I think about my own life, and I've had some forest fires, Lane. I talked about that on the first podcast. All at my doing. I want to be clear on that. But I think about what if... I had been maybe a little bit more motivated by love. I might, I might have gone to somebody and said, I've lit a match here, or I got a little bit of a bonfire going on. Would you help me put this out? And what if that person, instead of saying, you're a horrible person, I can't believe you would do this, said, I'll get the water. I'll get the water. We'll put this thing out. No judgment here. Thanks for calling me. I'm so glad you let me know. I love you, period. Imagine everybody had a dad that would pray for him when they thought they were going to get in trouble, right? Be it a boss, be it a parent, uh, be it a sibling or a friend. It, it, when, you, when the tide rises, it lifts all boats, right? That's a quote from JFK. Um, some people question whether it was him saying at first or if he quoted someone else but he had such great quotes uh, that's not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country right what if we said that in our own uh, parenting and leadership and as an employee to a leader what can I do for you can you hear my kid <laughs> what can I do for you mommy perfect timing Kay Perfect timing. Crazy. How the mouths of babes. Um, I, again, list of things. <laughs> I'll make it quick because you, you so nailed it. And it's all about authenticity. And the, lead, the culture stops with immediate leadership. It doesn't matter what culture people are being uh, grass-fed or force-fed into a company or a family. The leadership owns that. And if you have broken rungs all the way down, if there's a crack at the top, there's an ocean at the bottom, right? That's change management. 
You can't change management and parenting most of the time, uh, but you can change your heart. And that's really where, we, you know, we go back to the, you know where to go to fix your iPhone. You know where to go to fix your car. But most people don't know where to go to fix themselves. And where two or more are, you know, they're special to, specialists in mental and physical and spiritual and emotional well-being. And it's not a shame to use that because it's like being ashamed to go to Ford if your Ford car is having problems. You know, and the, being authentic, you know, all the stuff that we talk about is coming from our own experiences, right? Our own failures. Um, you and I have been educated, have a lot of book knowledge in our heads, but knowledge hills in comparison when wisdom steps into the room. And the only way you get wisdom is by being an epic failure. The farther you fail, the farther you learn. It's called fail up. I mean, there's two fail ups, right? In Hollywood, we had a joke. How, how did the, all, all these people become CEOs and leaders of the studios? They failed up. That's the negative one. That's where they screwed up so bad. They, they, you can see it right now in films, you know, films losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And then the next thing you know is they're like an executive producer somewhere. It's like the failing up because that's a buddy-buddy kind of thing. That's what you do not want. <laughs> you don't want that in your life. And then the other fail-up, the positive fail-up, if your leaders can actually pray for you and love on you and you know mentor you through your failures, you become a better person. You fail up. You, you go upwards with wisdom. Book knowledge can only go so far. Getting a degree can go so far. You can get the best job in the world. And when I go from honesty, I was a CCO. I was a media executive for a nonprofit with uh, a group that founded it, and they were hundreds of millions of dollars. Started a grocery store chain. 2008 came. We did not store up in the warehouses for a rainy day. I was out of a job within a day. Uh, the ministry was never the same. I'm now part of the board, uh, helping it grow again. Uh, but that was 20 years ago. I was I was in my 20s and a CCO. I had a, I had knowledge. I did not have the wisdom, and that was a huge failure in my part. Same thing. The hindsight of it all is where we have to not go, your job is not to judge your hindsight. That's God's job. And he's not judging you. He's raising up his hand with the I love you sign and just waiting on you. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. If you got good vision, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah. And I, I want to just feel and kind of led to address, we've been pretty, I'm going to say passionate about a lot of this today. And we've likely stepped on some toes by some of the things we've said. And and if you haven't turned us off and you're still listening, I want to address that. Because I think there are people, and I can identify with this, I'm 47 years old now, and there was a time in the not-too-distant past where I felt like I had failed so much that there was just no recovery. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine not too long ago. And one of the things he said to me is he said, Dean, I've, I've, I've been doing this for so long 
I don't know if I can even turn back now. Like I've kind of sold my soul. I don't know if I can turn back. I don't know if I can turn the tide. And I know that feeling. So I just want to speak to perhaps a, a leader, a parent, that you're, you're listening to this and you're feeling maybe that weight of you're talking about things that now sound beautiful and I, I wish I could do that, but I'm at a stage in my life or a stage in my career where what would that look like if I had to raise my hand and start telling people I just haven't done this well and I, I want to do it differently. Would that be so catastrophic for my career that maybe I just, maybe I just keep silent. Maybe I just continue on. It's too late for me. I want to go back. I want to wrap back into what we talked about when we started. God gave me that message and I didn't understand it at the time, but when he showed me that statue and I took a picture of it and it said, I love you. You heard me talk before about God saying, I need you to understand how loved you are. And then that next sign of, and because of that love, you have hope. So what we want to pass along in the spirit of redemption stories, if you're hearing what we're saying and you're feeling the weight of that, I want to just say, and and I hope you hear this, I want to say it's not too late. Everything can be redeemed. And think about this too. Okay, maybe you have been doing it in a way that you see now. I wish I would have done that differently. I've done this for so long and I wish I would have done that differently. Could I reframe that and say, you might not, and the chances are, you you will not be able to have the, the impact that you can now if you didn't have the story that you have in the past. If you hadn't, as Lane said, failed up so many times. So instead of thinking of it as, I don't have much time left to do this right So I might as well just throw my hands up and just sail on. Think about it in this sense. Think about all the leaders, all the people throughout the world and history that we've learned about. When you really look at the moments of impact that they had, it's always astounding to me, Lane, some of the people that are held up and just known worldwide as impactful leaders and change agents for all humanity. And when you really look and you say, man, that was such a short period of time and and they were a lot older and they'd made a lot of mistakes, but they're known now for this incredible impact that they had. So I want to speak to that. I just feel like there's some folks who like me probably felt the weight of, I've messed it up so many times that I don't even know if I can recover. And what we're offering today in the spirit of I love you period, redemption stories, we're offering It's not too late. The impact that you can have now, maybe you are a CEO or an executive and you wouldn't be there if had you done things differently. But now you're in a spot where you can actually be an incredible change agent. You can actually live this out and do this differently. So I hope that makes sense. Elaine, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, we talked about in the last podcast, my, my, the depression that, ebbs and flows and the things we speak into our own lives positive and negative and for me personally um and i i tell all everybody even if you're not a a believer in christ um the bible is such a character study on flawed humanity and god's grace 
And if you take it from God being the ultimate CEO, the ultimate father, and you just look them up, go to Google, look them up, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Job, Moses, King David, Solomon, Rahab, Samson, Peter, Paul, Saul of Tarsus is what his name was before he was saved. Listen to that one. He was a serial killer of Christians, and Jesus saved him. And he became one of the most prolific writers, if not the most written uh, author of the Bible. Some of the most prolific writings come from Paul. But if he only focused on his life before, if he only focused on the fact that, you know, Jesus' lineage is filled with drunkards, drug users, stealers, thieves, murderers, prostitutes, and you only stop there, you don't get to the end of the story where there is salvation for everyone. There is forgiveness for everything. And so when I get down on myself because I misspelled something on a Word document, (laughs) I get down on myself because I didn't have that as good of a moment with my kids as I could have or didn't spend that moment with my wife like I should have. Uh, The Bible teaches in every breath is God's. Every moment is God's. If someone takes something from me or a message from me or an idea from me, they're not taking it from me. It was not mine to begin with. The time that I buy into my family is not my time. I buy into it. The choices that we make in our lives in their intervals of positive or negative effects on our lives and other people for generations, that is not ours. We are invited into it. So, and that's why we believe that all leaders are ordained for that moment, good or bad. And it is our individual choices to be a positive or negative vehicle that will impact generations. And that's not an understatement. A word will resonate in a child for the rest of their lives. An action will resonate in the life of an employee for the rest of their career and their lives and their children. So by all means, Dean and Lane are not perfect. These are all failed, horrible failures that we have learned from in our own lives. And we're, we're just sitting in front of two mics, flawed individuals. We're never going to take credit for anything that we're saying. It's all been a grace of God to stay, wake up in the morning and to be able to get another text, get a private message on social media, and have those conversations with people that doesn't doesn't impact them as much as it impacts me, right? Praying to God to give me grace, praying for other people that do harm, praying for people that will always be out to get you, praying for people to let, you know, it's going to rain or shine on the good and bad. Bad things are going to happen to good people. And just like we take that lesson from God, he doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to freely come to him. He wants us to freely be agents of positive change. We have to look at each other in that light. And when we can accept it, fully accept it, see that love signal, 
and fully understand the meaning of it, which means you don't fully understand the meaning of it because God's love is beyond all reason and understanding. And if we can live that in our lives, professionally and personally, the world will change. Yeah, that's when you talk about all of these examples of people that have failed, I mean, I don't know how we're ever going to get away from sharing those kinds of stories because as you've said so many times and we've talked about, I mean, it's how you learn, but I, I can't help but think about some of those individuals. And since you, you highlighted Paul, formerly known as Saul, you know, one of the things he talked about, if you, if you read the Bible, was a thorn in the flesh, which has never really been identified as to exactly what that was. I think about his life and what he was before, and I can't help but wonder, and perhaps this is the application even in my own life, I can't help but wonder, was that thorn in the flesh that he talked about? And and I'm sure I'll have all kinds of scholars that are smarter than I am tell me all the reasons why I'm wrong. But I think in my own life, if I'm honest, the thing that has been most discouraging to me in moving forward is all the reminders from from people, sometimes voices in my head, but but people, even people that I've hurt. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's it's people that you've hurt that constantly want to tell you, you will always be, you will never be. And I think about Paul. Imagine what that was like to be called to literally go out to the same places where he had persecuted people, he had imprisoned, been witness to murders. He had to go back to those same places. And again, we sometimes set these individuals up as if they they weren't just like us, but they, they were. Imagine what that must have felt like. I understand what that feels like. Anybody who's ever royally screwed up and hurt other people knows what that feels like. And there's a part of you that wants to park there and say, you're right. I've done that. I will always be this offender. There's something, again, about that that feels like that's what you're supposed to do. And yet, God says the complete opposite. He says, nope, that is not the voice I've asked you to listen to. I called you Listen to me. Look at me. I get a picture of when your kids, especially when they're little, and they're 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 ranting and raving about something and they're they're just losing it, flailing around, whatever it is. And you're sitting there knowing that this thing that they've completely lost themselves over, the solution is is literally right there. If they would just listen to your voice. And I picture, I picture Jesus taking his hands like you do with a child and putting them around your face in those moments. And for me, and I know for so many others, and for Paul, he puts his hands around your face. He looks you in the eyes and he says, listen to my voice. Nobody else. In fact, in some ways, it's almost like you cover your kid's ears and you're just looking at them. And everybody can picture that who's had kids. You just kind of grab them and you just kind of look. And I picture that, and that was the message to Paul when he said, you know, I'm not going to remove the situation. I'm not going to take this away. I have prayed so many times that God would take those voices away because they're uncomfortable for me. 
and yet I've earned them. If you look at it that way, I've earned those voices. And Jesus just taking my my face and, and looking at me and saying, I'm not taking that away, but keep your eyes on me and it'll be okay. And so I think that resonates with so many people because I've had conversations at this point in my life with thousands of people who, who when I paint that picture, they understand it, they feel it. And so I say to those, whether you, again, whether you're a leader in an organization, a leader in a family, wherever wherever you are, where you feel the weight of failure, and yet you feel the call to brilliance, now I look at it as it's a gift. And, and, and what God actually said to Paul is, my grace will be sufficient. I need you to remember that story. So you can remember that it's my grace that got you here. It's my voice that called you here. It's my voice that's going to move you forward. And all I'm asking you to do, and this is where it was so beautiful, because Paul heard that all the time. We know he did. And yet he had this confidence of turning around and saying, okay, God, I, I, I need you all of the time, and I'm going to confidently walk with your voice behind me. And, and I, I, I take that back into how do we lead people? What if we did the same thing for our kids, did the same thing for other people? Hey, I know you messed up. We did that for people who offended us. And let's call it, let's get to the real, real here. People that have offended me. I may not always get a chance to say to them directly, hey, God loves you. All is good. Move forward. Hear his voice. But I can certainly pray that way for people. I can do that for as many people as possible. I can say, hey, it's, it's all good you're good. You're not done. Maybe you have done something to me, but be released. What if we lived that way? What if we led that way? What if we were companies and families that looked like that? And that to me is precisely what leading from the I love you period movement, the revolution, that's what that looks like. I uh, pulled up the message version of that uh, Bible verse, and I think at the end of this podcast, this is—I mean, you're you're just leading us into a perfect res- resolution that we all can relate in. Let's just hone in on all this stuff like a powder keg and put it all together, consolidate it into a single uh, master class of a single paragraph that Paul, two thousand years ago, could speak to, right? Now, the message says it's a handicap. Everybody knows he had a limp. He had a really bad handicap. But with um, the ESV version, it says thorn in the side, right? So we don't know exactly what this is, but the message is the version I call the yo-yo-yo version. Uh, It's so easy to understand. (laughs) Jesus came in and said, what's up? That's the message version for me, so... Um, here, here it is. Because of the extravagance of those revelations, because Paul was known for revelations and incredible works, he said, because of those extravagant uh, revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given a gift of a handicap, a gift. So the thorn on the side is a gift in his writings to keep me constantly constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. I think we all can relate to this. 
What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its, um, into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad that it had happened. I quit focusing on the hand- handicap, quit focusing on the thorn in my side, and began to appreciate the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in my weakness, not by his own works. That's what Paul's saying. Not by his own works was any of this happening. Now I take limitation in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, um, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, uh, let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. I, um, I was writing down a few things in my own life that I try to focus on as a father. I try to embrace the vulnerability. I try to teach my kids how flawed I am. Last night I had a great conversation with my son about manic depression. And, um, and he said, well, sadness is different. And we had a great conversation about that. He's like, are you always sad? He's, he's like, because sadness is different. You are, that's a hope. He, he said, you're defeated. He learned that in church. And we had a good conversation about that. Uh, I try to find the strength in my weakness. We are not God. We are not perfect. Um, I find myself not to be a good leader. I find myself to be a good uh, behind-the-scene curtain follower, like uh, the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I'm good pulling the strings for other people. Uh, I struggle with ego. I care not to um, relive my Hollywood days. I find strength in my weakness. I, I chose family over fame, and that's why we're in Memphis. I could have I was offered a lot, and that I was offered my weakness, and I can't go there. Um, a lot of us have those uh, resounding examples in our own lives and continuous learning. So those are the top three, because without continuous learning, uh, knowledge and wisdom, um, I will not get to see my family in heaven. And that's my main goal is to become the best child of God I can be and lead my children with as much wisdom as God graces me with. Uh, As a business leader, uh, the same thing, leading with humility. Uh, People know your faults, your flaws, your failures. They learn more from those, right, Nene? And then you press your perseverance through challenges, creates a stronger team, creates a stronger you. And you thank God for those perseverance times, those times to persevere. You thank God for those thorns in your side at home and at work. And then I try to lift other people, empowering others. So humility, perseverance, and empowering. And that's what I try to do at home as well. But for the broader implication, you know, for us to be a community, a collaboration of people seeking to be our fullest selves in love, we have to take on personal development and learn emotional intelligence. We have to know how we come across to other people. And Dean nailed it 
uh, on the podcast. My kid's screaming. I don't know. <laughs> it's a full-on party over here. Uh, Dean nailed it when he said, if we stepped on people's toes, we're stepping on our own toes. This isn't, this isn't, we're not calling anybody out. Um, Simon Sinek said, start with why, right? He said the difference between Microsoft and Apple is Microsoft said, we build computers and we're great at it, right? And Apple comes at it saying, we want to make a product that helps you to think different. We want to think different. We want to change the world. And by the way, we create computers. You know, you have to start with that why in your life. That is the circle of friends, and that is the point in the middle that everybody should be focused on. If you have anybody in your circle that's not focused on that little dot in the middle and the target, remove them as friends with grace and love. Your inner circle needs to be singularity, singular focused. Um, constantly focusing day in and day out on I love you, period, makes me a better husband, a father, and a creative. And I thank you for putting me onto this journey with you. And I hope this podcast, it ran a little long. We had such a good conversation and we delved deep into ourselves and our, our, our experiences. And I think leaving this at the amazing words of Paul uh, for all of us to take to heart and become better people is perfect. Uh, we'd like to ask you guys to share this podcast with everybody that you know. If you if it resonates with you, if you think it stinks, uh, our email right now is I love you period revolution at gmail.com. If you can spell that out, you can email us. I love you. <laughs> I love you period revolution at gmail.com. You can go to the website, I love you period.com see the podcast, see an amazing writing that Dean has created, and to share the websites, share the podcast, share the message, live it out, share with us how you're living it out. Share your own story. We want to hear your story. This isn't the Dean and Lane show. This is the you show, and we want to learn from you. We want to become better people and children of God and better leaders and better fathers or mothers, friends from your story as well. So reach out at I love you period revolution at gmail.com. Send us your messages. Let's have you on the show and let's better our lives together as we move closer to God and the closer of our true selves 